Thank you for double-clicking your mouse tonight. You're listening to the Midnight Frightcast in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Hey everybody, welcome to the Midnight Frightcast. This is episode number 82. We are still quarantined. Is that joke getting old? I'm kind of getting tired of it. I kind of want to see my peeps. Not like on cameras, but like in person. That would be awesome. Let's introduce my peeps. I've got, I don't know where they're at. I've got Maddie the Screen Queen. Hey, if we are all in person, I'm going to have to start wearing pants to this. So Can we change this to the Pants Off Dance Off Frightcast? Uh, hey. No dancing. All right, we've got we've got the ever pantsless man in the room, Joshua. I can't decide whose watch party I want to watch. There it is. Patrick, there's Greg. Whose watch party do I want to watch? It's like I feel like I'm choosing my favorite child right now. Can't do it. Don't choose me. Don't choose me. And we've got the doctor of everything else, Patrick. Hey, everybody, how's it going? We've uh, we've all undoubtedly been watching things as we are still knocking out this whole isolation bullcrap. So uh, what have we been watching? Maddie, what have you been watching? Um, I watched a documentary recently called Psalm, and it's about um, a group of guys who are trying to pass their master song. I can't pronounce that. The really fancy wine people test. And that was pretty interesting, although it was kind of frustrating. Just because, oh, Psalm, like, yeah. Yeah, you were just seeing these guys just like struggle so hard, and like 50 of them took the test and like six of them passed and it was just like really straining to watch other than that i have also found a show on hulu called disappeared which is just about my same people and it's been really great until i hit an episode that was um about a girl who uh worked on indie horror movies and then the next episode was a park ranger that disappeared and i got a little concerned because i've done both of those things and uh, kind of saw how close I was just to, like, being an episode myself. But otherwise, it's a really good show. That's kind of what I've been watching. Josh, what do you got? Uh, for me, it's been a lot of, like, repeat stuff this week. I ran through uh, Terrifier again, started working through the Human Centipede movies, re- kind of went through the Hatchet films again, just kind of, like, shit in the background while I was doing other stuff. But I did watch The Lighthouse this week, and I hated The Witch with a passion. Hated that movie. I felt like The Lighthouse was a huge, like, step up from that movie. I enjoyed the shit out of The Lighthouse. Wasn't really, like, about anything, but it was, like, it was moody as fuck. And uh, Robert Pattinson and uh, Willem Dafoe were, like, really good in it. So The Lighthouse, I would recommend I was interested in watching that when you were talking about it until I remembered it was the film that Patrick was like, yeah, mermaid vagina. And I was like, I'm okay. <laughs> it's like almost a two-hour movie, and that's ten seconds of it. it. It really is not much in there, but I, I agree with Josh. The acting was really, really good from both Defoe and Pattinson. It was just a little too much on the artsy side for me, and, and that's coming from a guy who likes artsy films. Yeah, the... 10 seconds of mermaid vagina is too much for me. My favorite Disney <laughs> film is Little Mermaid, and I just don't want to ruin that, like, ever. I mean, it, I mean, again, it's almost a two-hour movie, and watching 
Robert Pattinson like masturbate for like half of it kind of offsets it. So I mean, there's that. Offsets it what way? I don't want to watch them jerk off. Okay, well look, look there's something <laughs> for everybody in that movie, Maddie. Is what I'm saying. So fine. Okay. <laughs> Pull that trigger. <laughs> That's all I got. The big takeaway is walk uh, walk a fine line if you're watching the lighthouse. Patrick, what have you been watching? All right, so I got kind of a stinky pinky as I dipped my toes into the lion, into the uh, Tiger King this weekend or this past oh, week. All right, and uh, I liked about fifty percent of it. I think they could have gone through the whole thing and cut off about two of the episodes. I did appreciate the episode that they added on the end with the uh, Joel McHale interviewing the uh, different actors, so to speak, in the documentary itself because you got to be able to, to get some input from them post Tiger King mania. What, what like, I'm just curious, Patrick, what episodes or what parts do you feel like that were in there that you could have done without? Like, what could they have cut? I, I tell you the truth. I don't know exactly what to cut by, by but by the last two, I was kind of like, can we get to the end of this now? Okay. So I don't I know. If think I, the la- yeah. I did think the last two kind of drug a little bit, mm-hmm. but maybe it's cause like it was more court stuff and less like, crazy shit right right that could be as well but i do believe carol baskins killed her husband yeah hell yeah i caught atomic blonde i had not seen that movie before and i gotta tell you Charlize theron is an action film actor the fight choreography in this was fucking amazing probably some of the best i've seen in a really long time so if you have a chance to catch atomic blonde if not for the fight choreography alone it is a really good movie I caught Sonic the Hedgehog. I enjoyed it. What were your thoughts on that? Yeah, I I enjoyed it. You know, I'm glad that they changed the CGI because that first version of Sonic was really scary. (laughs) Yeah. I didn't know what to expect from it, and maybe my expectations were low, but I really did enjoy it. Jim Carrey actually did a fine job without going over the top. And then I started watching a new documentary or a newish documentary called In Search of Darkness, I don't know if you guys have heard of this, but it's a documentary into horror films of the 1980s. Ooh. It is over four hours long, however. I'm only about a fourth of the way into it. At this point, I wish they would spend a little bit more time getting more into detail. They're kind of like spending maybe a minute on each of these movies and hitting the high points of why it's significant or not. So <laughs> I'm, I'm not sure I'm going to be able to last the entire four hours on it. Is that smartness? In Search of Darkness. Okay. I'm going to look for it. And that's it. That's what I've been watching. All right. So uh, not too much on my end. Um, I say that. I have to pull out my legal pad. Um, continuing watching Dead to Me. Again, I'm just I'm trying to restrain myself from binging this entire season. I'm, I'm still loving it. Did check out Dead to Me. It's just a, such a great story or great uh, series over there on Netflix. Based on a, uh, a recommendation from Patrick, I started watching the series Hollywood on Netflix, which is just is blowing me out of the water on every episode that we're watching. One of my favorite time periods is uh, old Hollywood. And so getting to see this in action is just, it's amazing. I love everything about it. The characters are incredible. It, it crosses a lot of lines very quickly. Take that for what you will. But the stories in it are, they draw you in like immediately. So really, uh, really excited to finish that series. Emily started watching uh, a series over on Netflix called, or excuse me, on Hulu called The Great, which is a uh, a comedic satire on Catherine the Great 
I caught a couple episodes. It's it's entertaining. I it still hasn't gripped me yet, but it might be worth a watch for somebody. It's very it's sarcastic, very sarcastic. And then uh, Maddie, it's actually funny that you were mentioning checking out the documentary Psalm because we watched the documentary, the sequel to that, which is Psalm Two: Back into the Bottle or Into the Bottle. Nice. They basically show you the the process of what wineries go through to make their bottles and how significant they are. And if you if you like Psalm, check out this one. If you didn't like Psalm, check out this one because this is the whole history of how it was created. And I think you really get a kick out of that. So Psalm 2. Okay. And that's really all that I have been watching. So we are uh, – we're going to rock it over. We've got a topic. And I think – was it Josh who, uh, who presented this topic? So, Josh, tell us about our topic. Uh, well, I had a conversation with somebody a few a little while back about – it's kind of like a little debate about whether horror films uh, – basically whether, like, opening kill scenes are necessary in horror films. And so I just thought that was kind of an interesting debate. And so I thought I'd just bring it here and see what everybody kind of thought. I, me personally, I think they set the tone. Uh, in a horror film, I think they're absolutely necessary, and they should be there. I mean, some of the best sequences for me in some horror films are the opening scene kill. So I've seen like that happen, and then the movie tanks from there. And the most memorable part for me was that opening scene. Looking at you, ghost ship. Exactly. That's a hundred percent. That's listening. A hundred percent, ghost ship. <laughs> So, and I don't know when this tone was set. I don't know if it was from the beginning or, like, if it became, like, a thing in the late 70s, early 80s, adding these elements to horror films or if they were always there. But a lot of my favorite films from the the late 70s, 80s, into the 90s had those opening kill scenes. Uh, And like I said, those are what I remember from those movies. So, yeah, debate. I mean, y'all know me. Yeah, I was going to say, y'all know me. Um, I'm here to watch one thing and one thing only in horror movies, and that's people dying. So if it happens, you know, 30 <laughs> seconds in, I'm I'm there for it. As you've said, there have been quite a few movies, and yeah, Ghost definitely comes to mind, that they start off with a cool kill, and then it just goes straight to hell. But at least I'm like, I'm less likely to 45 minute a movie if someone dies in the first couple minutes. But I also think it kind of depends on the type of horror movie. Cause like I expect to see something like that in a slasher or like one of my extremes or something like that. I would think it would be odd in like, I don't know, not that I watch a ton of these, but like a period piece or like a supernatural movie. I might, some of the supernatural movies that have like a tone and an atmosphere to them. I might think it was a little strange, but I'm not going to complain about extra gore. What would be the supernatural version, I guess, of an opening scene kill? Like, you know what I mean? Like, do we have any. I can't. I feel like I've seen something where. But I have a feeling it was one of those, like, American haunting ass movies that came out in, like, early 2000s that just. They were all the goddamn same. And I feel like one of them had, like, some sort of violent scene at the beginning, but they weren't quality movies. Sorry. So I didn't really uh, store them in my head, I guess. Right. Greg, you want to go first or me? Go ahead. Go ahead. The question of whether they're necessary or not, I think it all depends on what type of tone you're going to set for the rest of the movie. You take a movie like Scream and that entire opening sequence with Drew Barrymore, 
that sets the tone for the rest of the movie. Same thing with Jaws, same thing with something like, um, let's say Halloween, where we have these really great opening kills and it really sets the tone for the rest of the movie. If you're going to have an opening kill and then just have something that's dry for the next hour and a half and then something happens, I, I don't think it's going to be as effective. So whether or not they're necessary, I think it all depends on the tone of the movie itself. Uh, Dawn of the Dead is another example. Was there technically a, an opening kill in the beginning of Halloween? Well, yeah. Yeah. yeah, it was the young Mike Myers walking through that. It was the POV of Mike Myers walking through the house and killing his oh, sister. Oh, yep. My bad. Nope, you're good. I'm sorry. I went straight to the, uh, the asylum. Mm-hmm. My apologies. And, and like I, I just brought up Dawn of the Dead, they had that entire zombie chase through the entire first, what, 10 minutes mm-hmm. of the movie? started off pretty serene and then escalated quickly. Right. And that was just the tone of the rest of the movie as well. I just, uh, for me, you go back and you take that opening kill out of Scream or go back and take that opening scene out of Jaws and uh, I try to imagine like those movies without those scenes in it is just, you know, for me, tough. Like those were, Scream is like one of the best examples for an opening scene kill. I mean, that's just, it set the tone for the whole film. So, Yeah. No, I, I'm going to have a, a unanimous answer here where, yes, it, it ha- needs to happen because it does set the tone. Obviously, I'm not going to beat the dead horse on that, but I don't think that it necessarily needs to happen in every film or every uh, subgenre of horror movies. You know, it makes perfect sense. You know, you, you've got the screams, you've got the Friday the 13th, the Nightmare on Elm Street, the Halloweens, what have you, where you need to know what this movie is going to be. This is a, it's a straight slasher. You need to know people are going to get hacked to pieces. However, you take a movie like, like Hereditary or even the movie that I'm still on the fence about that one, where I don't necessarily know if you need an opening kill to kind of set what that movie is going to be about. I almost think an opening kill diminishes from what that movie is. Um, and again, our, our movie for today, I'm still on the fence about. We'll get into that <laughs> later. But I think anything that a horror movie can do to establish what their atmosphere is, what their tone's going to be, what their environment is going to be like while you're going through the story, it needs to happen right then. If you go into a, a slasher film and you don't have a kill for the first 20, 30 minutes, people are going to be bored to freaking tears because that's what they're there for. It's exactly like Maddie. You're going into these to watch people die. It's sick and it's gross, but for some reason it's enjoyable for some of us to go in and watch that. And if you don't get that, that appetizer, terrible analogy, I apologize, but if you don't get that appetizer right out of the gate, why are you even watching this movie? And, you know, uh, Ghost Ship, I think, is one of the most perfect examples of the reverse of that. They came out swinging with that opening scene. That's probably one of the best opens of a horror movie I have ever seen. If you want to watch that movie, watch the first opening scene until credits roll and shut it off because you will, you'll hate yourself for watching the rest of it. It's terrible. Absolutely terrible. <laughs> But that first opening scene set the bar so damn high that it couldn't even catch itself at the the climactic ending of it. So that's kind of where I'm at on that. <laughs> I think some of my like favorite opening scenes is when like for the first like five minutes at the most, everything's going like real well, real jolly, and then just shit goes to hell. Like Martyrs is one, and I use Martyrs for a lot of stuff where just total normal family kind of hanging out, sitting down, eating breakfast, and then everything just goes to shit. Like, I love sequences like that because I just like kind of like that mix-up of, like, happy and then what I came to see. 
So I think Patrick made a great example with Dawn of the Dead where it it does exactly that. And you almost lose a little bit of it, but I felt Dawn of the Dead, I'm referring to the, the remake because I haven't seen the original. I think it, it catches itself before it goes too terrible. It's a little hokey in the middle of it, but that opening scene is just, it's absolutely incredible what they do in that, that immediate spiral from, hey, we're doing good, shit just hit the fan, and it's about to get ugly. Yeah. Anybody else have any further thoughts on whether opening kills are necessary for horror movies? Did we have examples of, of when they they weren't necessary, where they were in a movie, but they weren't needed at all? Ooh. Um, um, I don't. <laughs> Greg had brought up Hereditary, and I actually kind of disagree. <laughs> I would have liked that movie a lot more if that chick's head came off like right in the beginning. Because I don't think that whole like 30, <laughs> 48 hours before that before her head came off was fucking necessary. I also just don't straight up don't like that movie, but I would have liked it a lot better if it was like cut in half, <laughs> just like her spine. So, you know. Yeah, Patty. Yeah. I, I, think, I think with Hereditary, they just, they took the story, it could have been a, a nice hour and a half story and they just elongated it. So technically that could have been the opening kill, but that story was so long to tell that it just took a little longer to get to it. Yeah. Um, and I mean, like, I guess I don't watch a lot of, like, classy, sophisticated horror movies unless I have to. So, like, <laughs> most of the movies I watch are, like, trash and chainsaws and blood everywhere. And I prefer it happen right then. Because as I said, as you said, if I wait, like, 20 minutes into, a, like, a slasher movie for a kill, like, what am I doing there? So let me ask mm-hmm. you about it, just out of curiosity then, because of the kind of horror films you watch. You watch a 90-minute movie, all right? Do you have a kill count that you want to see in that movie? Do you have a, all right, for 90 minutes, mm-hmm. I want to see at least this many people get hacked to death, or it didn't hit what I want in a horror film? I'm a quality over quantity person, because, like, if we think of... Um... What the hell is that movie I made you guys watch last year? Frontiers. Mm. There's not a ton of deaths in that movie, but they good. When they hit, they're good. <laughs> You're right. Yeah. So, I mean, I, it, again, it's totally just whatever the movie is, because there are some movies that are just kill count movies, like Terrifier's kind of a kill count movie, where they're just like, shit, just bringing characters, because we just need them to die. And, like, I don't care. Like, that's mm-hmm. a good time. Like, and it's all, like, Terrifier's a great movie, but I, I've seen movies that are just film count movies, and I'm like, I'm enjoying this, but not that much. So it all just depends on who's directing and how the film's going itself. But in an ideal situation, one person lives in everything between the 45-second mark to that hour and a half is just filled with death, but that's just a stop. So not to, not to completely jump the gun. And if you guys want me to wait on this question until we actually get to it, do you feel like the opening kill of our movie for today was, was necessary to help set the tone or was it necessary to have in there at all? And again, I can wait. I don't have a problem with that. Yeah. Let's, let's pull that into the discussion. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to say that's kind of, I had a comment on that. That'll go into a whole nother thing. So Maddie's got a diatribe. If nobody else has anything further to say on that, 
uh, it's, it's kind of a unanimous uh, vote for all of us. So let's uh, roll into our new little segment here. We are calling Killer versus Killer, Villain versus Villain, whatever you would call it. Maddie, show us the box. Who do we got here? <laughs> we got... Wait a second. No, there is no box showing on this goddamn show. <laughs> you had like wide-eyed you know views from like two of us and we were like, did you just say that? Listen, I woke up like exactly 54 minutes ago. So, okay, we have... Maddie, show us that box. How about we don't? Um, <laughs> that's on my OnlyFans page. We have Candyman versus Michael Myers. Oh, Ooh. shit. Oh. Yeah. That's actually a good one. Some of these have sucked. It is a fantastic one. All right. I'll jump first if that's okay. Halloween, the series, minus the third one, is probably one of my all-time favorite slasher series. Halloween is one of the number one movies I have to watch on Halloween every Halloween. It's just the nature of the beast. Michael Myers, compared to Candyman, is boring as hell. And this is after seeing the man for the time last. I think uh, the Candyman as a villain is far more terrifying than some guy hanging out by the laundry line and staring at you and just watching you from the shadows. I think there's a lot more terror with the whole, the mythology of the Candyman versus some guy with a William Shatner mask on. So Candyman gets my vote. I 100% agree with Greg. Uh, I think the idea of uh, the Candyman is far more terrifying than, than Michael Myers. Um, I appreciate both films, but the whole idea and the whole history and everything that's set up with Candyman is fucking scary. I mean, how many times did you test it or think about testing going into a bathroom <laughs> in front of the mirror and trying it out? And I know it's just a movie, but like it's a, it's a movie that's like a psychology that gets in your head and makes you wonder... Should I give it a shot? So I would go uh, with I'm going with Greg. I'm going Candyman. You know, I stood in front of the mirror saying Bloody Mary three times because I wanted a drink to appear there. But um, <laughs> that's not how that works. Uh, well, sometimes if I yell Bloody Mary really loud, one just appears in my room. It's normally my boyfriend though. But um, anyway, I like I've talked about. I really appreciate the Halloween movie but it's not my favorite Candyman kind of gives me the creeps there's just like an atmosphere of that movie that just really kind of hits and like Tony Todd and I say this with so much love this is so fantastic he's a scary human being he's just a scary man and he does it well and bless him for it but yeah I'm gonna go with Candyman (laughs) Tony Todd can be playing a good guy in a movie and still be scary Yeah. yeah Yeah, like, he can literally, like, they could cast him as Captain America, and I'd be like, God damn, you scary. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm so glad that he's back for the, for the, Me new, too. for the new one. So, I, I guess it's going to be unanimous in our appraisal of who's, who's more effective between Candyman and Mike Myers. And I definitely, there was just something, especially about the way Tony Todd played that, is just, so much more intimidating than just someone who's there not showing expression, not showing anything other than here, I'm going to stab you or break your neck or something. Definitely Candyman. Hell yeah. That was my box is going away now. All right. Let's bring this bad boy home. 
we all watched the movie and it's actually uh depending on how you consider it is a, a 2020 movie it was made in 19 i think it was released in 2019 but imdb shows a january of 2020 release so we all watched the movie the lodge patrick hit us with the deets the Lodge, 2019, running an hour 48, now streaming on Hulu. A soon-to-be stepmom is snowed in with her fiancé's two children at a remote holiday village. Just as relations begin to thaw between the trio, some strange and frightening events take place. IMDb rating 6.1, Metacritic score rating 64%, Rotten Tomatoes critics rating 74%, and Rotten Tomatoes audience score 51%. And those are the deets. Are we spoiling this? Uh, it was All originally right. released in January of 2019 Again? on the festival circuit. So it was out and about for at least a year before it hit a January oh. release, I believe, on Hulu. So can we spoil okay. this? Or no? So we could. Spoiler alert. Yeah, just give a warning. Yeah. yeah. Spoil it. You've been warned. Patrick, well, why'd you pick this? I picked it because uh, it has been on my list to watch for a while. The trailer made it look really promising. Josh had watched it last week, or at least he had watched it prior to last week's podcast and said that he had enjoyed it. Greg, I know it was on your list to watch as well. Since it was on my list, it looked promising. I figured let's go ahead and watch it for the show. All right. Very good. Josh, you were going to say something. Like I said, I really enjoyed this movie. I don't, I'm curious to hear everybody else's thoughts because Patrick kind of set it up like, he said it looked promising, but I want to know from him like if that promise paid off. So now he's got me curious about his thoughts. Oh, are you forcing me to go first on what I thought no, of no, the no, show? No, no, no. I'm, I'm saying, like, I talked about it a little bit last week. I dug the crap out of the film. The one thing I missed was, like, I didn't know Alicia Silverstone played that mom at the beginning because I did not recognize her at all. I didn't uh, recognize her until she was just about ready to shoot herself. I didn't recognize her until they showed the video that the kid gave the stepmom to watch mm-hmm. her, her, the dad for Christmas. And then and she like, had that. I was like, holy shit. Yeah, then I'll... she did that typical Alicia Silverstone lip thing that she does when yeah, she talks. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I, I didn't have a lot of spots in this movie where I had a lot of problems. It's a long movie. It's almost two hours. But I didn't think it ran, like, slow at all. I thought the pacing was really good in that movie. I thought it did a good job kind of trying to throw you off as far as, like, there's not a villain in this movie, but, like, it kind of, like, pulled you back and forth on, like, are the kids kind of, like, the kids are being assholes, or this lady is, or the stepmom is, like, I, I, it just, for me, it kind of pulled me back and forth on, like, who was, like, uh, kind of worse in this movie, like, those kids, or was, like, that stepmom having some major issues? So for me, the villain is that dad for leaving those kids with that stepmom for fucking days without. Who the hell would do that? That yeah, that was like my first thought. I was like, that is dog shit, parent (laughs) of the year award. Like, why do you go leave your kids with someone they barely know, who obviously like besides everything else, even in the beginning, they all knew she had some like mental problems. Right. But yeah, let's leave her up in a remote cabin. Yeah. Yeah, I thought they, they did right. a good job planting some, like, seeds in your head as far as, like, I mean, there's no payoff with it, but, like, at least made me think, like, is there something going on with that little girl's doll? 
is there something that's going to pay off with that painting that she can't seem to like stare at when she's eating dinner? I kept waiting for these little like things to kind of pay off and they never did, but at least they sat there in my head and made me think and like wait for something. And I wasn't mad that there was no payoff because I enjoyed the, or and appreciated the psychological part of it, uh, which is what I like about these movies. It's not a movie with a bunch of, or, you know, kills or anything in it. There's not a bunch of, you know, death and blood and everything. It's pure, like, psychological, but, like, you know, there's it can go way south and go way wrong. For me, this one went all the right ways and did kind of everything right for me. So that's why, like, I really enjoyed the film. Greg is going to bring this up, so I don't want to talk about it until, because he kind of brought it up that, was that first death necessary? Um, and I'm guessing you're talking about mm-hmm. the mom, right? Yep. That's all I'm going to say, because I, I'm, I'm going to hear everybody else's thoughts. This was a, it was a slow burn for me, but I agree with you, Josh, that the pacing was really good because to me, it didn't seem like an hour and 48 minutes long once I finished watching it. They got two really good young actors and that always helps. They pulled in the kid from It and I've never seen the young lady before, but I thought she did a really nice job. I'd never seen the other two actors as well. The young woman that played Grace was actually Elvis Presley's granddaughter. Yeah, she's from uh, Under the Silver Lake, and she's in a movie. Uh, it's on Netflix. I can't remember the name of it, but um, yeah, she's she was in Under the Silver Lake last year or two years ago. Also, yeah, because I I did a little bit of research afterwards, and a couple sites referred to her as like the new era of Scream Queen, and I well, I haven't seen her in anything that I was aware of so far. I thought she did a, a nice job. The father was hardly in it, but when he was in it, he was kind of an asshole. And yes, he did not get the father of the year award for leaving those kids behind. Who even plans a trip knowing that, oh, I'm going to be gone for four out of the six days and everything's just going to be all right. Uh, and, and, you know, they don't check the weather report before going up there for the obviously huge snowstorm that happens. And also, hey, let's have my kids out skating on a lake that the ice is not going to support them. This father is kind of a douche. So I, I, I didn't shed a tear to what happened to him at the end. Overall, to me, this was less of a horror film, more of a psychological thriller and when we get into the ratings later on, I will probably just flat out say it's not a horror film, in my view. It's a good film, a really good film, well acted, well written. The suspense was there. Josh, just like you said, the little nuggets that they put in your mind of what's going on with the painting, what's going on with the dollhouse. I mean, it even had some of that. Uh, that dollhouse is total like. Uh, throwback to Hereditary. Hereditary. Yeah, and that's the that was the movie I was thinking of was Hereditary. I kept I had Midsummer stuck in my head and I couldn't get rid of it. So they had all of those elements in there, and you, it always kept you you guessing what reality you were in from scene to scene. And I really appreciated that. I thought it was smart writing. Next, Maddie, what do you got? You know, to me, this movie was like a really good soup that someone didn't put salt in. Like all the elements were there. But to me, it was kind of just missing something. And I think what, as Patrick said, this isn't really a horror movie. 
I'm going to say again, dog shit dad of the year award. Like I would be a better parent than he would. And I would slap my kids like, yeah. So yeah, that kind of bugged me. That was something I kind of stayed on for a while. I was just like, God, you are the worst parent I've ever seen. And then like, even like, I think going on a trip period when your mom died like less than a year before, like, and taking your kids with like your new girlfriend, like, yeah tacky 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 this was kind of a slow burn but like the pacing was not bad for a slow burn movie like i didn't think i was sitting there for almost two hours the thing that kind of lost me was towards the end where they kept kind of going back and forth that actually just kind of bothered me because i it felt jumbled to me like i was like okay is this a supernatural thing or are these kids just being little twits I kind of think that maybe, like, her whole, like, cult background thing wasn't 100% necessary, because I was like, she could have been Cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs anyway. Like, I don't think she needed a reason, especially because I don't <laughs> really think that followed through and really tied in with anything. Like, she could have just been, like, a religious nutter anyway, like, without all that in the back. But whatever, I guess it added, like, a little bit of a... Thing. I actually, that beginning kill, um, I actually was really hopeful after that because normally there's a ton of movie suicides in them and they always pan the camera off. So like keeping the camera on her, I was like, oh sweet, I expected a little more brutality though. And it just like didn't really pay off after that. But um, you know, as I said, these just aren't my type of movies really. But like, yeah, this is really well acted, really well put together to me I just wanted that horror element and it never came through for me so um this is actually one of the first movies I've watched where there's kid actors that doesn't just make me fucking itch so that's nice I normally really don't like <laughs> movies with like that are really kid-centered because there's just not a lot of good child actors or they act way too much like children and then I hate it <laughs> Because I'm like, I go to great lengths to stay away from children in my normal life, so I don't really want to watch them on screen and invite them into my home. As always, I was more bummed when the dog died than anybody else. When the dad died, I was like, thank God. Just shot him in the balls so he couldn't have another kid. <laughs> Again, like, that's the, like, I guess that's the horror element in this whole movie. He is a terrible, terrible dad. He did everything but molest his kids and like the like checklist of shit ass parents. You could you could tell from the from the first minute that he was not in it for the kids. He was in it all for himself. So father yeah. of the year. Yeah, I'm like, you should be a Trojan ad, man. Like you just suck. You know, we talk about how much <laughs> of a dick the father is, but these kids are Fucking shits too. Well, yeah, the, like the apple does not fall from far from exactly. That tree. Yeah, exactly. Apple. I mean, you, we're blaming a lot of what happened on the father, but these kids—they're fucking sadistic. Yeah, yeah, they're little for what, shit. For what they did, she tried really hard to, you know, get to know them and kind of learn about them and talk to them and be like a friend to them, and at every like turn, every. Every opportunity she tried, they just shit on her super hard. Yeah. Yeah, but, no, I felt really bad for her. And even though she was crazy, like, I felt bad for her. I was like, what a terrible situation to be in. And honestly, like, I expected her to be some Gorgon because they never showed her, like, the beginning of the movie. And they went to, like, great length 
to like not show her. So I was like, does this lady have two heads? Like when she got in the car, I expected like tentacles to come out or be like, hello, children. <laughs> I don't know. And that, that cult thing kind of sort of paid off at the end because they show little like flashbacks of the cult in like the, I think the, what was the word, sin or whatever mm-hmm. that she had put sin. on them. And that kind of came back at the end mm-hmm. um, at the table. So I mean, it, it you're did. Right, it wasn't really necessary, like, but they at least kind of tied it in. Yeah. Again. So. But I was kind of hoping for more supernatural throughout with the cult. That, yeah. That because she was the only survivor of the mass suicide, that there was going to be more haunting, more supernatural. The the and and they did some elements of that with the flashbacks and what was going on in her head, but I I just wanted so much more of that. Would you have liked if they did like uh, kind of a last shifting with some of the imagery in that movie where there were some flashes of like uh, some of the cult members in there and like maybe know, like- yeah I'm not I'm not sure what I, I what I would want but just being able to pull something in that made me. Th- because, like I said, I was bouncing back and forth between, is there something supernatural happening? Are they dead? Are the kids fucking with her? I mean, I kept bouncing back and forth, but this, the weakest of those thoughts was the supernatural with the cult. It did have this um, this other's tone in there for a little while, mm-hmm. where they thought they were dead or whatever. Yeah. I went yeah. straight to the others. I was like, okay, this is, this again, a whole nother continue like guessing game is what they played yeah. for like at least an hour of that movie yeah well i was kind of thinking about halfway through this movie because i know at one point and i think i said this about a year ago i wish someone would remake the shining but make it good or no not the shining sorry the others but make it good because the others has a really cool twist in it oh. the most boring <laughs> goddamn movie on the planet but no, I was going to say, I expected this to be a little more like The Shining, which did pull some of the more supernatural elements in it and did it well. So I kind of expected a movie a little bit more like The Shining with culty stuff. I mean, I love cults. So I was kind of like, I don't know. I feel like I had a lot of hope for this movie and it was not a bad movie by any means, but like it just kind of fell a little short of what I thought it was going to be. Greg. So yes, this is a slow burn movie. We've established that. I think one of the one of the biggest issues that I had with the movie was the story came off a little spotty, and I think that was as a result of it being a slow burn. They didn't rush into anything, and it it got a little tricky to kind of keep up with it when it got towards the middle third of that movie. And really, it's I'm trying to think of how I want to put this. You, you guys have said I might uh, jump track here. You guys have said that you don't necessarily consider this a horror movie, but more a psychological thriller. I would agree with you in some respects because there is more thrill than there is horror in this. Where I disagree with you is the horror lies in not only the kids pranking the the stepmom, Grace, I think was her name, but what it does to her. I think the horror lies in, in the descent as you watch Grace go from I'm trying to be the mom that, or the the stepmom. I'm going to step in. I'm going to I'm try and take care of you. And after this whole horrific thing happened, and you know, obviously they want you to feel bad for her because she is trying her hardest. And yeah, these kids are being a couple of twat waffles. But as they continue to go and go and go, you see what this is doing to her. And 
the descent of her falling back into what she's worked so hard to erase from her mind or from her past is that cult interaction or that cult involvement. I think that's where the true horror lies. And yeah, you want to feel bad for her, but you see where this is going. And it could, it gets to a point where it's just like, this is not going to end well for anybody. You guys had mentioned the uh, all the red herrings using the doll, the painting on the wall, the the gun, I think was kind of a red herring a little bit. You You get pulled in so many directions in this movie that before the, the reveal, you don't know what is real anymore. And I absolutely love that about this movie because there were so many things that you were trying to follow that it just, it became insanity. I don't know what is going on. And even when you, when you get that reveal towards the end, it still is like, okay, I'm still waiting for the other shoe to drop. This film has tension and atmosphere for days. I absolutely loved it. I, it was from minute one. I was in this movie and I was invested. I was it's very excited to watch this entire thing. I'm so glad that we we chose this uh, this movie. One of the one of the best parts of this, uh, outside of the the acting, I thought the actors were absolutely fantastically chosen. They did an incredible job. The cinematography in this movie is incredible, absolutely incredible. What they do with the the vast space of nothing and how they use the tight rooms or the tight angles in the lodge just to make it feel that much more uh, confined. Like you were quarantined in this movie with them. And I absolutely love what they did with that. So let's, let's jump to the beginning there. Obviously we get to meet the, uh, the original mom. We under, we see that they're going through a painful separation divorce process and we get the ultimate, what the fuck scene with what Alicia Silverstone does by killing herself. Absolutely came out of nowhere, surprised the hell out of me. Uh, were you guys shocked by this at all, or did you kind of see that coming? With how distraught she was and how intense she was all the way through, and the moment that she started arranging things in her house very specifically, that was a trigger. I knew I knew that okay. was going to happen because that's pretty stereotypical of a lot of people going to kill themselves. They put things in order in a very, very select order. So once that was happening, I went, all right, this is what's going to happen. When she sat down to drink the wine, I said, all right, there's that blank canvas behind her. Mm. Guess what's going to yeah. get sprayed all over it. Right. I think once we get to more like the, the, the dad's such a douchebag, and I know we keep coming back to that, I'm like, girl, why did you kill yourself over that giant fucking loser? Like that, to me, honestly, just like this whole movie, I was like, really? Like, that's not the man you want to lose your life to gigantic selfish jackass sorry it was really bad <laughs> yeah i mean there's a there was a shift in tone for her in that kitchen scene uh once he kind of told her that because you could see him try to dance around it he danced around it as long as he possibly could um before he just kind of had to come out and say what he said um and then just like, watching her her whole just like tone shift but yeah like patrick said all those those triggers and then sitting at the table drinking Maddie's closet wine, and you know, <laughs> sorry, Maddie. Um, but yeah, when did, I mean, when did it always, graduate from toilet wine to closet wine? It's uh, always been closet wine. I am fancy, <laughs> but now I'm gonna have to make a wine called Alicia's Brain Matter. <laughs> oh, good one. Um, that one I might try. Uh, but yeah, Patrick kinda hit, yeah, he kind of hit it like arranging all the things, the 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 blank canvas behind her. 
uh, you kind of, you could feel it. You could kind of feel it coming. So, but it didn't take the shock out of it for me at all. Still watching her do it, and like Maddie said earlier, the fact that they didn't cut away and just kind of show the blood splatter on the wall, all that stuff did not take the shock away from it for me. Um, seeing it was actually, you know, crazy. I don't, I don't care how many times I see someone put a bullet in their head in a movie. It it always gets me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think one of the one of the greatest aspects of this filmmaking goes back to the cinematography and how long the camera holds on individual shots. Because the longer that it holds, the more uncomfortable that scene gets. And it held on on Alicia's lifeless body for a long time. You could see her big breath. <laughs> you could. Right. See she took one. But I think that helped, uh, again, with the with the tone and the atmosphere. And so I'm going to jump back to my original question. Do you feel like having that helped? Or could they have said, hey, uh, we need to finalize the divorce. Grace and I are going to get married. And then that's the last you see of her as she walks mm-hmm. off in a distraught thing. Does it help the story that we saw her put a bullet in her head? Or that we spent the next five minutes watching her kids? Side note, the girl, the little girl in that, in that scene after the funeral where she is just losing her shit, bawling her eyes out. Holy crap. Because that just grabbed at the heartstrings right there. Just a phenomenal job. But I digress. Did we need all of that before we get to the point of, okay, Grace is coming over and then we're going to go up to the mountains and we're going to have this beautiful family plus one Christmas. La da da. I was going to say, I think by having the mom, kill herself they kind of gave the kids a little bit more motivation to be a dick to grace i mean we've kind of established they're just like shitty kids but um i don't think they would have maybe gone to that level if they hadn't if the mom was still alive because i think on some plane they probably blamed her because they're Mm -hmm. like oh my god this lady came into our lives and like broke our family up. They're probably thinking she's like a homewrecker and that's kind of why they vented all their venom to them. I don't think if their parents were just like getting a divorce and their mom was just like, you know, became a closet alcoholic. I don't really think they would have that motivation to really like go out and ruin Grace's life as much as, or try to as much as they did. Although they could have, I said, kids Yeah, I think you needed that that scene to happen to set kind of that tone with those kids. Kind of like Maddie said, I don't think they would have had the excuse to be as big of assholes as they were if that scene didn't happen. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think that was absolutely unnecessary yeah, thing to to put in there. I mean, because what they didn't show is, I'm sure those kids went home and found their mom like that. So that was kind of like unwritten. They didn't show that scene, but that's probably unfortunately what happened. Right. Patrick, thoughts? I think it was absolutely necessary to have that scene in there. And I I wholeheartedly agree. And, um, you know, we we relate this a lot to what Hereditary was. It's that that psychological thriller, horror, whatever you wish to call it. But this uh, opening kill, if you will, is very much the same as what happened in Hereditary. This this was the telephone pole incident. And it yeah, I 100% agree. It drives those kids to be the little assholes that they are and to take grace onto that, hey, let's relive your cult past life. Do you feel like it also cult brought... Past, past life. It, it, it brought those kids, like, <clears throat> closer together as siblings also? Like, 
you know, that brother and sister, you know, they're, they're, they never really fought. You never really saw them fight. Um, and maybe they did, you know, previous to what their mom did. But, like, you saw them stick together no matter what. Because at any point in time, one of them could have said, hey, stop being this way. Let's give her a shot and let's yeah. try. And neither one of them went that way. But, they, they yeah, because even even when the one, uh, when the when the daughter said, you, you you thought for a moment that she was warming up to her with the doll, the, the with the with the, with the gifts yeah and she said well mm-hmm. do you want to see what we got our dad and she said sure and then she fucking shows her that video yeah. of her mom and it's like you fucking bitch yeah. right yeah right. I couldn't tell if she did that to be a little bitch oh, or like definitely. she just went over her head no definitely to be a bitch. You know, Josh, you were asking about, did it bring the kids closer? I think they were close to begin with, because even in the opening scene when they're driving to their dads and the brother accidentally rips the arm off the doll, she didn't get too too overly upset. She basically popped the arm back in and says, you're lucky that was this easy to do. Yeah. Well, I think there's enough age difference between these kids that it's not a problem, because like... I feel like siblings that have like a larger age gap maybe don't annoy each other as much. You know, if if each of them were four years older, it would have been a completely different story. Yeah, I think it, I think it could have gotten way darker if they were older kids. Actually, yeah, um, yeah, shit they could have pulled. But they each were given uh, the nice thing too is they were each given that warm up moment because she got the moment with the the Christmas gifts. And he got the moment with the hot chocolate and offering yeah. her kind of a like a peace offering. Like, here, I made you hot chocolate. We just had this conversation where I told you I don't want to talk to you. And and then, you know, and the next thing, he's bringing her hot chocolate and trying to, like, you know, you think he's trying to warm up to her a little bit. And then all that shit hit the fan even more. Yeah. I, I, I almost think that those, that's part of the game that they're playing is they're just – they're constantly pulling her back and throwing her out and just making her kind of feel like the the audience does, I'm sure, of what am I supposed to believe? Are these kids warming up to me or are they ready to throw me out in the cold by myself or whatever, whatnot? And really, I don't think we saw any true humanity until she returns with the dog frozen and you see the daughter just flat break down. She she realizes, okay, this is some serious shit that we're doing. We went like, we went to too end. far. Yeah, we went too far. We went yeah. too far. Absolutely. And then it was too late. And then it was too late. <laughs> Can't call the horses oh. back in the barn or whatever you say. <laughs> right. <laughs> All right. Anything else that anybody wants to mention before we start rating? A lot of those. All right. We rate on three different scales: our fear slash fun factor, our gore score. And our overall, and would you recommend to a friend? So, on our fear slash fun factor, Maddie, what do you give it? You know, this is hard because um, I didn't have any fun, and uh, there wasn't a fear factor for me, even though this was a good movie. So, um, unfortunately, I'm only gonna have to give this like a one or two, just because it's a, it's not fun. But there's no fear, so. And, yeah, uh, Josh. Sorry. Or uh, yeah, doesn't matter. Yeah, same thing. You know, <laughs> uh, uh, one or two, but again, don't let those scores take you away from that movie. It's just it just wasn't that kind of movie, mm-hmm. and that's hence the low score. But yeah, one or two is is right on. I would completely agree with that, Josh. What you just said. Don't let a low score in the fear factor keep you from watching this movie. 
it's not that type of a film. It's not loaded with jump scares. It's not loaded with a ton of intensity. So, so the fear factor is low, regardless of how good this movie is. I almost wonder if we should add a, a third F in there so that it, we can maybe raise the score on that. Because I feel, I feel like if people see that we're giving it ones and twos and whatever, that they might be driven away from it, even if we're saying don't let it drive away. What's the third F then? I don't know. I mean, for this Fear, particular fun, movie, and say, <laughs> For this particular movie, I'd say, fuck. <laughs> but otherwise, I don't know. We'll have, to, we'll have to come back on that. Obviously, this movie isn't fun. No, we've established that. There's not a lot of scare in it per se. I want to give it a five on the Fear Factor rating only because you wonder what these kids are doing to this woman knowing what her backstory is and how messed up her childhood must have been and how long it took her to reach a sense of normalcy. And they're just bringing her right back into that by screwing with her. So I'm I'm giving it a five based on the descent that Grace goes through in this story. Uh, Gore score, Maddie, what do you got? A two. Yeah, Yeah, again, uh, it's just not that kind of movie. Um, So... It just doesn't play, that rating doesn't play well with this kind of film because it's just, it's not there. So, uh, two. Patrick. Agreed. One or two. The only times we saw anything was at the beginning where she shot herself and then the uh, blood trail, maybe, from the dad. It's just really, really low. So I would even say one. I would give it a three uh, based on the the suicide at the beginning. The crippled-looking twisted, weird, dead dog that we get to see multiple times. And then the uh, the blood at the end of this. And almost a little bit, the very last scene, because you know exactly where it's going, and it's kind of a brutal shot at the end of this. So I give it a three. <clears throat> uh, overall, would you recommend? Again, this is a hard score to give, because even though I think this is a good movie, I didn't necessarily love it. So, I mean, I'd give it a seven and I would recommend it, but I would not recommend it to any of my horror friends because my <laughs> horror friends, like, they like that blood and they like it coming. <laughs> and that movie better be 45 goddamn minutes. So I wouldn't <laughs> recommend this to my friends. I maybe would recommend this to someone who liked The Shining or The Others or something. Mm-hmm. Maybe even the sixth sense more along those lines. But yeah, I'll give it a seven, but um, this wasn't my type of movie, which is fine. Josh? Yeah, uh, across the board, agree with Maddie. I'd get to go with uh, a seven. I would I would highly recommend it to people that enjoyed all the movies that, that Maddie just mentioned. If you enjoyed The Others um, or The Shining or anything like that, uh, this is in your wheelhouse. So uh, yeah, 100%, seven. I have to go back to my original statement when I was first talking about this movie that I do not believe that it is a horror film, that it is and should be labeled a psychological thriller. That set aside, this is a really, really good film. I would give it a seven or an eight. That's where it's going to rest with me. Would I recommend it to a friend? Yes, I would. Once again, saying it's not a horror film, but a psychological thriller. And I'm going to sit on the uh, the seven and a half mark. Uh, I really enjoyed this movie. You you get sucked in immediately. Yes, it is a slow burn. Yes, it does take a while to jump from scene to scene. But once you get to the end, I think you get an incredibly great payoff. And it's it's totally worth the watch. So seven and a half for me. 
I would recommend, I actually did recommend, I had a friend contact me on my, uh, my watch party asking if I could recommend anything, and I recommended this. So definitely recommend. All right. Uh, that has been uh, episode 82. We are the Midnight Frightcast. <laughs> Patrick, you got, us, uh, got a plug for us? I do have a plug for us. So if you're a fan of the Midnight Frightcast, and we know that you are, help us out. Make sure that you head on over to iTunes or whatever platform you're listening to us on and make sure that you rate and review us. But more importantly, make sure that you share it with your friends and family. Let's build our audience. You can also check us out on uh, the social media. We're all over the place. Just search for Midnight Frightcast and make sure that you head on over and check out our films at midnightfrightfilms.com. Ladies and gentlemen, once again, this has been episode 82 of the Midnight Frightcast. I am your host, Greg the Movie Guy, along with our scream queen, Maddie, the other guy in the room, Joshua, and the doctor of filmonomics. That's me. Sorry, Patrick. The doctor of everything else, Patrick. I'm spitting everywhere now. Awesome. It's time for us to go. Have a good night. Stay safe out there. Uh, buy local. Stay, away Stay the from fuck home. People. Stay the fuck home if you also have to. Do whatever you do. Just let's get the hell out of this uh, isolation crap. Have a good night, everybody. Bye.